This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss how to winterize your body with naturopath Dr. Colleen Hartwick. We'll discover how to navigate change with peak performance coach Hina Khan. We'll learn why you need to know your values with mindfulness expert Tracy Sograti. And lastly, we'll find out how flexible thinking can help your health and wellness with researcher Michelle Seeger. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Older people who are infected with COVID-19 show a substantially higher risk, as much as 50 to 80% higher than a control group of developing Alzheimer's disease within a year, according to a study of more than 6 million patients 65 and older conducted by Case Western University. Could taking a daily multivitamin help maintain cognitive health during aging and possibly prevent cognitive decline? According to new research from Wake Forest University School of Medicine, taking a daily supplement may improve cognition in older adults. But note, additional studies are needed to confirm these findings before any health recommendations can be made. Scientists have shown that high-fat diets can cause rapid changes in the bone marrow of mice, driving the production of inflammatory immune cells, according to new findings. The results may help explain how high-fat diets trigger inflammation, which can contribute to the development of insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, and other complications in individuals with obesity. That was your Tonic Quick Shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Colleen Hartwick, ND, in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. Lack of magnesium can lead to serious health issues. Sadly, one in three Canadians aren't getting enough. Common signs include trouble sleeping, low concentration, irritability, headaches, muscle cramps, or spasms. Could you be lacking? Choose from New Roots Herbal's Ultra Gentle Magnesium Bisglycinate, Heart Mag for added cardiac support, or Clarity Mag, a no-brainer for anyone over 50, exclusively at health food stores. To find a store near you, visit newrootsherbal.com. Dr. Colleen Hartwick is a licensed naturopathic physician who's been in private practice since 2012 in Campbell River, BC. Dr. Hartwick has a special interest in trauma as it pertains to physical illness, and as such, her practice focuses on mental health. In addition, she's passionate about sharing her knowledge and has been a part-time instructor at the Canadian School for Nutrition since 2015, and recently began publishing educational articles with a naturopathic bent. Welcome back to the show, Colleen. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm so glad to be back. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. So, doesn't necessarily feel like it here in the T-dot, but winter is coming, and uh, we're going to talk about winterizing your body, whatever that means. I guess I'll find out. All right. You are about to find out. And no, I'm not in the T dot. And I have not heard that phrasing since I lived in Toronto. There you go. I actually live on Vancouver Island where 
winters can be especially problematic because I don't know if you spent a winter on the north end of Vancouver Island, but it gets quite cloudy and quite gray here for months on end. Isn't that pretty much all the time in Vancouver and in BC? Like, <laughs> no, no, this is Vancouver Island, not Vancouver, but you're not wrong about Vancouver getting quite socked in as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. So there you go. Well, I'm sorry for that. That's <laughs> all right. So do our bodies physiologically change during the winter? Like, do we have different needs? Yeah, you'll notice, or most people will notice, sort of a natural slowing down with the shorter days and the longer nights. And that's due to some changes in vitamin D status, some changes kind of coinciding with those shorter days. We'll see some fluctuations with brain chemistry, actually. Dopamine levels will tend to decrease a little bit in the winter, again, coinciding with changes in brightness, serotonin as well. And metabolism overall, because of a change in those brain chemicals, tends to slow down a little bit in the winter months. You know, I don't know if it's self-fulfilling prophecy, but, you know, I have weight fluctuations throughout the year. It's kind of like a cycle. It looks kind of like a wave. And, you know, in the depths of winter, even though I have a dog and I walk with my dog and I exercise all the time, I just tend to put on more weight during the winter. Is this a real phenomenon or is this just Jamie? (laughs) It might be a bit of Jamie, but I think in my own personal experience, experience of my patients, and again, sort of in keeping with those fluctuations in brain chemicals uh, over the seasons, it's really common for people to put on five or 10 pounds through the winter months and then see a natural shedding of that weight in the warmer summer months. Okay. So you mentioned the shorter days, less sunlight, and that takes my mind to vitamin D. Should we worry about how our body processes vitamin D in winter, like the efficiencies? Yeah, I think it's something really important to be mindful of, especially for anyone who's got more skin pigment, their ability to manufacture their own vitamin D because of that built-in sunproofing is a little bit less robust than someone like me. I'm quite fair-skinned, and so I'm genetically sort of predisposed to being more efficient at making vitamin D. And as we've come to learn, and I'm sure lots of your audience members already know, vitamin D is a really important vitamin slash hormone, especially as it pertains to both mood. And it's not uncommon for people to experience a bit of apathy or feeling a little bit less motivated in those winter months, as well as being a bit more susceptible to things like colds and flus kind of coinciding with lower vitamin D levels. So I don't think they should raise the alarm bells necessarily, but definitely be aware of the importance of vitamin D, both from a mood standpoint, but also from an immune health standpoint. If one were deficient in vitamin D, would it manifest physically? Like, would I be able to look in the mirror and determine that? It doesn't produce obvious physical, like visible signs, but what a person whose vitamin D might experience muscle cramps and spasms because of its role in calcium metabolism, might notice more of a susceptibility to colds and flus, and maybe they get sick, you know, three, four, five times through the season, or maybe they get more protracted illnesses, so a cold that lasts 14 days, a flu that lasts three weeks kind of thing. And the other manifestation that I think a lot of your listeners might already be aware of is seasonal affective disorder. Right. So it's a a psychiatric condition that looks a lot like clinical depression, but its major underlying reason is vitamin D deficiencies that, again, tends to happen in those winter months when we're not getting as many hours of sunlight and the brightness is much less. Okay. So you mentioned cold and flus a moment ago. Is there anything that you would recommend to help ward off 
those transitory illnesses? I'm a big fan of focusing on diet, so making sure your body has the building blocks for a robust immune system so that our immunologic army is able to recognize those cold and flu viruses and eradicate them. So the things that I encourage for my patients are getting adequate protein, maybe upping their zinc intake through the winter months, vitamin C as well, and of course that important vitamin we were just talking about, vitamin D. And then aside from that, some behavioral things. So getting out and moving your body, making sure you're sleeping enough. And one of my newer favorite things to do, well, it's not my favorite at the time, but yeah. I'm noticing the benefits are cold plunges, cold showers. Okay. I thought cold showers were for something else. But if you if you say they were for cold and flu, sure, I suppose that's another reason. But yeah, okay. Yeah, so what they do, other than boosting energy, boosting dopamine, helping with those cold shock proteins that can help to lower inflammation, it's cause a little spike in adrenaline. And adrenaline actually helps us to recruit immune cells. So it kind of raises the flag to say, hey, white blood cells, wake up there might be a virus here that you want to pay attention to. Okay, so you were mentioning a cold shower, but some people are more susceptible to cold temperatures. Is there anything we can do other than bundle up? (laughs) One of my favorite things to do, and here on the coast where it's both cold and damp, I actually, and this is not necessarily for everyone, but I have battery-operated gloves because I also have cold hands. Okay. If you don't feel like investing in battery-operated gloves, There's certainly other options available, adding more warming spices to your diet, like chili peppers, garlic, ginger, for example. They can cause a bit of blood vessel dilation, so to help bring more blood and therefore heat to the fingers and toes. And then adding foods that have nitrates in them, because nitrates are a precursor to nitric oxide, which again helps blood vessels to dilate. And dilated blood vessels bring not just blood, but also heat to areas further away from the heart. And that could be things like arugula or beets, etc. All contain these nitrites that can help to be a precursor to nitric oxide and, again, cause that vasodilation and bring blood to the fingers and toes. As an aside, you know, one reason somebody might have that difficulty is a condition called Raynaud's. Would you recommend what you just discussed for somebody with Raynaud's? Because that's a bit more serious. Yeah, Raynaud's, because it's oftentimes a syndrome, which is a diagnosis of exclusion, it's always really important to go to either a naturopathic physician like myself or one of my colleagues, functional medicine doctor, or your your family doctor to figure out why it is that you are experiencing Raynaud's, because there can be nutritional deficiencies at the root of Raynaud's, hormones like thyroid hormone, estrogen and progesterone can play a role in Raynaud's. So always a really important piece to figure out and why am I manifesting this symptom or this syndrome in the case of Raynaud's, but certainly the recommendations I just made. So foods with some nitrates in it, uh, warming spices, they're pretty safe and so would be fine for someone with Raynaud's to incorporate. But again, they want to figure out, hopefully figure out what is underlying their specific experience of Raynaud's. Okay. Sometimes the cold weather in Toronto, probably not where you are, tends to get dry, like when it gets very cold, and that can dry out the skin if you're not careful, if you're exposed. So are there any natural oils that we can use to add emollients to the skin? Yeah, I mean, depending on the extent of the dryness, for, say, lips, hands, feet, I'm a big fan of shea butter, which is really thick. 
it's like the natural equivalent to gasoline in my experience. So it creates this nice moist barrier between cold, dry air and the skin. But really any oil, coconut oil, almond oil can work really nicely, again, as a topical emollient. And then internally, making sure you get enough of the fats to build healthy skin. So those omega-3s can also be helpful on the internal side to make a skin that is more resistant, rather, to the effects of cool, dry weather. Okay. So before I asked you a personalized question about weight gain during the winter, but I know I'm not alone. I, I know other people tend to put on weight during that time. And, you know, as somebody who's lost a lot of weight, I'm mindful of the dangers of putting on extra weight. But should we be concerned about putting on five or ten pounds during the winter, or is it something not to worry about? It would depend, I guess, in part on the starting weight. That five or ten pounds for most people is probably not problematic. But again, if you're already coming into the winter months, 50 or 60 pounds overweight, that extra five or ten pounds is just adding to body burden of potentially inflammation, extra fatty tissue. It acts as an endocrine organ, so a hormone-producing organ can add to our pool of estrogen, just puts more wear and tear on the weight-bearing joints and hips and knees. So depends on the starting weight. Five or 10 pounds for most people is probably okay. But if you're wanting to nip that weight gain in the bud, that cold showering that I mentioned can be really helpful because it can boost basal metabolic rate just a little bit. Incorporating some weight-bearing exercise so that at rest you're burning more energy. And then taking a look at diet and how that's been structured for you. So maybe more protein, more fat, and less refined carbohydrates that can put us more in that storage state due to the effects of insulin. Okay. I know that a lot of naturopaths sort of look to herbs and spices to help us with sort of everyday issues. So if we are drinking lots of hot drinks to stay warm in the winter. What spices do you like to put in? My favorite tea, and I have no relationship to the company, it's called Bengal Spice. I call it tiger tea. It's got cinnamon and cardamom, and it just tastes like dessert to me. So it's got these nice, warming, earthy spices in there that, again, help to boost metabolism a little bit. And for me, it just helps me feel warm all over. Yeah, cardamom, cloves, ginger, cinnamon, throw in a little bit of cayenne pepper for that extra hit of heat. All of those warming herbs can boost metabolism a little bit, and many of them also have antiviral properties. Okay. So uh, we know about the connection about carrying extra weight and putting on weight and, you know, putting on a few pounds of fat and how it interacts with inflammation, but there are good fats, right? Yeah, and I'm of the penchant. There's no good or no bad fat inherently. It really depends on sort of how much of that particular fat we have and under what sort of background circumstances those fats are there. Omega-6s get a lot of flack because they can be pro-inflammatory, especially in the chronic side of things. So a lot of people want to be mindful about maybe reducing the amount of omega-6s that they have, especially through cold and flu season because, again, they can amplify inflammation, so perhaps make a bigger inflammatory response if we do get hit with a cold or a flu, and to focus on upping the intake of those more anti-inflammatory omega-3 fats that we get from things like algae, fish, fish oil, but also some plant sources like flax and hemp. Okay, so, you know, I've kind of identified the fact that I tend to put on more weight during the winter just because there's just more family get-togethers, there's just more reasons to have bigger meals. And I have some strategies in dealing with that. 
but I'd be interested to hear yours. How would you coach somebody to deal with some of the bigger meals that come around during this time of year? Oh, you're in good company. I have a huge family and we'll have big potluck style dinners and usually a little bit of alcohol might be involved, which can reduce inhibitions and perhaps cause a little bit of extra overeating. So boundary setting might be important, you know, using a smaller plate, not going for seconds, the kind of basic behavioral strategies that you might implement. And then beyond that, just to help with perhaps the downstream effects of having a big meal, um, doing a little bit of liver support, perhaps some digestive enzymes. I'm a big fan of apple cider vinegar, those sort of bitter, sour foods like vinegar. Mm-hmm. They act as what are called glucose disposal agents, so they can actually help to bring down blood sugar after, say, a big Christmas dinner, a big holiday dinner, followed up by dessert. It can help to bring blood sugar levels down so that you don't get a big spike of insulin and puts you in that sort of energy storage state where you're more prone to putting on a little bit of extra body fat. That's a good plan. Mine is arrange your plate so that you take what you're going to take and not take seconds. So whatever it is you're going to eat, put it on one plate and then time it out. And also if it's like if you're an hors d'oeuvre group, like recognize that those calories count too. So if you're going to have a bunch of hors d'oeuvres, then maybe you go for a smaller plate for the rest of the meal. Or I think that those are great suggestions. Again, just little ways to minimize how much you're taking in by being aware and again, setting those limits in there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and explaining how to get through the winters. So I hope you have a good job of it. Thank you so much. There'll be lots of skiing, hopefully, if the conditions are right. And a little bit of extra vitamin D in those cold showers that I talked about. Sounds like a plan. That was Dr. Colleen Hartwick. For more discussions and articles about health and wellness, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll discuss how to navigate change on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. If you're like me, you love delicious and nutritious foods. You need to know what's new in health and wellness, and you're looking for something fun to do. Why not visit the Tonic Marketplace at the Zoomer Show on October 29th and 30th? It's a specially curated area that has all your favorite health and wellness brands like Kalaya and Yosos. Free samples, tons of giveaways, lots of fun. See you at the Tonic Marketplace. For more information, visit zoomershow.com. Welcome back to the Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hinnacon guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it be creating quantum leaps in their business or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. Then through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones which help to supercharge her client's growth. 
As a peak performance coach and a registered psychotherapist in active, Hina has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. For more information, you can always visit hinacon.ca. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing well. So we're going to talk about something that hits close to home today for me, because although I've gone through many changes professionally and personally in my life, I am very change resistant. So it's always, yeah, I know people find that quite surprising, but I fight change like the devil and I do. Yeah. And I know you have some advice on navigating change. So hopefully I'll learn something today. Yeah, hopefully you will, because that sounds like a lot of effort to fight change like the devil. Oh, we're going to change this up today. Maybe, maybe not. I may be resistant to that. (laughs) We'll see. Well, we'll see in the next few minutes if I can work my magic or not. Yeah, here we go. So let's talk about like the types of things that impact us. I know what motivates me and concerns me. But do you think that when things happen in the world, like, you know, the invasion of Ukraine or something like the Queen passing away, does that impact us? Yeah, absolutely it does, Jamie. I mean, how it impacts us is interesting because what we do is we make this external event personal, meaning that we personalize it. And that will be different for everyone. So if we look at the Queen, that example, you know, that day, many of us were just having a day, not thinking about the queen. Then we get news that she passes away, and then we give meaning to that news. For some of us, we go into grief. We feel a tremendous sense of loss. We're glued to the TV, looking at all of the reports or social media. And for others, there is mixed emotions about it. They feel conflicted or it's brought up really painful memories. And then there are others who honestly could care less. Yeah, They are indifferent and they don't care and they're not watching it. So people are reacting from the place of the meaning that they're putting on it. And that's totally fine. We have different experiences. We've grown up differently. Of course, we would have different opinions and feelings about it. I think where it can become problematic, though, and we see this, and we've seen this more and more often, even if we think of many of the world events that we've gone through, is when we are attached to the meaning that we give it, and we feel that our meaning is the right one, and everybody should adhere to our meaning. And if they don't, then we make them wrong. You know, it's interesting. I probably fall into camp number three, where, yeah, because if I were impacted by everything that's going on, I wouldn't be able to get anything done. Like, I, I think as a person of my age, having been through whatever it is I've been through, and I don't think it's any, you know, demonstrably different than most people in their mid 50s, what they've been through. Like you can pick and choose what's going to impact you. And if you allow everything to impact you, then of course it would be impossible not to be weepy the entire day. I just don't think we can function like that. And maybe it's a coping mechanism, but extrinsic issues like that just don't impact me that way. You know, I, I have strong opinions about all this stuff, but it doesn't stop me from, from doing what I got to do. Mm. Does it affect how you view other people with their strong opinions? which may be different than yours? No, I'm an outlier. Like, I don't care if my opinion is different than everybody else's. And I respect other people's opinions. I respect their rights to opinions. I don't necessarily respect their opinions. Not everybody's opinion is valid. Just because you have it doesn't mean that it's a good one or I should respect it. This is an important point. 
because, as you said, like, you know, we're of the same age and we just don't have time. I don't have yeah. time to be like, I've got I things to do. Me time too. is different for me right now, yeah. which also means that I don't even need to get involved or police anybody else's response or reaction to it. And I think that's where it gets problematic is when we do think that someone else who has a different opinion then ours should have our opinion. So then we're in the comment section of every post. And I don't think it's a good use. For me, it's not a good use of my time or energy. Well, you know, I was a professional advocate for 20 years. And I kind of know yeah. I kind of know how to make a point, And I kind of know the time to make a point. And it isn't yeah. all the time every day. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't have enough energy to impose my will on everybody, nor do I care to. But I have my own, like, set of bearings, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Totally like, I actually admire people who try and change the world. I don't have those energies. And maybe I am changing the world. Maybe this show is, you know, for the betterment of the people to the extent that people are listening to it. But I don't perceive it that way. I kind of just do what I do. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think that that is, personally, I actually think that's a really good way to be able to move in this world where we're getting so much information and, you know, on a daily, not even on a daily basis, on an hourly basis to help us navigate it and for us to stay grounded. You know, the the problem is, Hina, I think we have all collectively lost the understanding of what is opinion and what is fact. Oh, amen to that. That's true. And so, you know, I'd like to say that every decision I make is fact-driven. That would be a fallacy. I mean, you know, no human is capable of that. But I think people embrace opinion too much uh, because it validates what they're feeling, you know, like, and it's all too easy to find somebody who will agree with you. And I think we see manifestations of that with people acting out over like the vaccines or, you know, that's an example, or maybe how they feel about the queen or this or that. Like, I think everybody can find their tribe. And I think to get people to move off of those ideals is so much harder today because they don't have to. Yes. And, you know, the news, like so if we take the Queen's death and what the meaning that we gave to it, yep. the news comes in so fast. Yep. Like we're hearing it and then we're not even and then things seem like they may be fact, but we're not even looking at the source. Like, where did that even come from? So I think it's a good thing for us to be able to even give ourselves permission to pause and decide what meaning we want to give to it and be OK with whatever it means for us. Yeah. So how does not accepting change harm us? I've got my own ideas, but what do you think it means? Like when you're not open to new ideas and facts, what happens? So first of all, trying to fight the existing reality is a losing game. And when we are really upset at the way things are or a situation that is not working, that in of itself is not bad because that's how change comes about. Because we may not be happy in our position. We may not be happy with where we are in our life or things have changed for us in the certain stage of life that we're in right now. So that in and of itself is not bad. It's just when we then stay there and then we gather people. And like you said, we join groups and we live in that space. That's not where the change is going to happen. So the awareness is not bad, but we want to then ask ourselves, what do I want? What would I like it to be? And then we can go on to the place of solution and we can start to move from the place of the problem or from the place where we are experiencing something we don't like. 
I love what Buck Minister Fuller said. He said, you don't change things by fighting the existing reality. You change things by building a new model that makes the old model obsolete. Too many of us are fighting with the existing reality. You know what I think it is? As we get older, we tend to rely not on what we're learning, but rather our wisdom. In other words, everything harkens back to our experiences. And so if you're not open to new realities and you're only framing them through your past experience, it makes it very difficult to navigate something that has never occurred to you before. Like it doesn't necessarily fit into that paradigm. Oh, this is just like that. No, it isn't. It's something new. It could edify your opinion, but it actually doesn't allow you to cope with what is different in my experience. Yes. You know, it doesn't allow you to cope with what is different. And then you are just replaying and revisiting this thing that you don't like. Right. Exactly. And then I think that's kind of the problem. And, you know, how shall I put this? I will change if I need to, but I make a mental calculus as to whether or not I actually need to. And then if I decide that I need to, then I leap into action. So when I say I fight off change, it's really the process is more about thinking about it and really turning it over and deciding whether or not I have to make a change in my life. Because if I do, I will, but otherwise I won't. And how long do you stay in the process of thinking of it? Depends how complicated the issue is. Okay. You know, like it took me a long time to stop practicing law. It took me a long time because I invested so much time and effort into getting my degree and practicing. So the decision to leave law was not one that I made lightly, but I had to do it. Right. Yes. I can totally relate to that with psychotherapy. And I think in that case, for me, anyways, it was because my self-identity was wrapped into it. Of course. As you know, your career, that's the hardest thing to change. Right. Or a marriage, you know, because your identity is tied to who you are and how you function during the day. Right. It isn't your hobbies. It isn't your predilections. It's what you do. Right. So how everybody knows you. Exactly. So have I convinced you? Maybe I've convinced you about change. I don't know. I actually feel that we're just on this one. Doesn't happen all the time with us, Jamie, but I do feel on this one, we're actually in agreement. We just may be using different, a bit of a different language and a, a different way of coming to it. But I think we agree on this one. Maybe you're right. What do you want to talk about the next time you're on the show? The next time I'm on the show, you know what I would love to dive into because it has been life-changing for me and my clients is a morning routine. Sounds fantastic. That was Hina Khan. For more information about Hina, please visit hinnacon.ca. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss why you need to know your values on The Tonic. Your family's health and wellness needs should come first. These days, taking care of a loved one should be as easy as ordering goods and groceries to your door on your smartphone. You need MedWorks, an at-home service that pulls it all together. We make healthcare and wellness services easy to navigate. MedWorks, at home your way every day. Download the app today. MedWorks. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, 
workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage, and you can find her at sagradayoga.com, Sagrada Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sagrati on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Always great to have you on. <sighs> Today, we're going to talk about values. Yeah, we are. And this we isn't are. about sales, right? Like, you know, no. or, or, these are highly subjective <laughs> values, not necessarily <laughs> objective ones, right? Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I know it's deeply personal. And, you know, sometimes I think that the word values, like when, when people hear like, oh, you have to know your values, it's like, oh, there's been a lot of hype about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that most people listening probably have a pretty good intellectual understanding of, of what we're talking about. But the crossover between intellectually understanding something and living it is where the magic happens. And so that's what I really want to, I think, highlight and prioritize today right off the bat. I think there's a disconnect between what we think our values are and how we actually live our values. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me an example? Uh, (laughs) No, I don't wish to at this moment, right? I felt like I'm like, oh, I can really get them here. Yeah, no. I walked straight into that one, didn't I? Okay. Okay, so so what are values then? For those who are thinking, what the hell are they talking about? What are we talking about? Yeah, they're down a rabbit hole. Okay, so values, first of all, they're freely chosen. So just because you were raised in a family that had a certain set of values, maybe religiously, spiritually, or, you know, the family values themselves, it it doesn't mean that they have to be your values. They might be, they might not be. Mm -hmm. So they're freely chosen. They're kind of ideals towards which we work, um, Mm -hmm. and they sort of guide our actions or behavior or choices. And you can really think of them like a compass. And it's a compass that moves us in the direction of the life that we want to live with the understanding that they are dynamic, not fixed. And that means they are going to change over time. And, you know, you and I have known each other for many years now. And so, you know, we've gone through a stage of life changes. So there's when your kids are young and then they're growing up and then they move away. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's your body when it's young and then your body as it ages. And so your values are going to change according to what's happening in your stage of life. And and that's really important to recognize and and not to get too set in your ways about them. I think it's also... Uh, it's how you perceive time too, yeah, right? Yeah, like I find, unpack that. yeah, well, you know, like I find personally when I've noticed changes in the way I conduct myself or choose to conduct myself, mm-hmm. I often mm-hmm. fall back on, well, I don't have time for that anymore mm-hmm. or I don't want to waste my time on that anymore. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the value that you're holding there is actually how incredibly important your time is. Like your time is valuable. I think it's right? probably the most valuable thing. To me, it is too. It's more valuable than anything else. Right? Yeah. Uh, and what are we going to do with that time? Like, are we going to be better people? Are we yeah. going to spend our time being pissed off with other people or yeah. complaining about things? Or are we yeah. actually going to make changes? Yeah. How are we going to conduct ourselves with the time that we have? That's kind of how I frame it now. And yeah. I don't know that I would have thought about it that way when I was younger. I think it's actually pretty brilliant and something even listeners, if they can, like write that down because how we choose to use our time, what we do with it, really predicts the kind of life that we're going to live. And when you're talking about time, like where my mind jumped to is it's like, yeah, it's like what you're doing with your mind, even moment to moment. Mm -hmm. And listeners, just to give you, you know, a couple of examples, you know, just of of values, like, like we were talking about valuing time, Um, you might value ambition, you might value positivity, you might value determination. 
kindness, decency. Kindness. Yeah, for me, integrity is really big. My mm-hmm. personal integrity is huge. So that's something that I value. But, you know, I generally will advise people to explore their values within specific domains because it's going to be a little different when you're talking about, say, what you value in terms of your health right. versus who you are, say, a professional, who you are as maybe a parent versus a spouse. And then your personal development, like when you're talking about how you want to spend your time, it's like, okay, well, how do I want to cultivate myself, cultivate my character as a person? Right. So you might look within those domains. We're talking about that sort of philosophically. Let's yeah. get a little bit more practically oriented. How would you recommend to somebody that they explore their values? Okay. So number one is to look at those domains that I talked about and, and start to ask the question, okay, what's important to me in terms of my health? What's important to me in terms of my work? You know, my family, personal development. But often I find if no one has done an exercise even like that, they can end up with answers that are sort of vague. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, a deeper question is to ask are things like, who do you care about? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to hang out with? Mm-hmm. Because we are such social creatures, right? This is about relationships, obviously. Mm-hmm. We're so social that if we don't think about what kinds of relationships we want to have in our lives, then we can end up having relationships that contribute to us really feeling crappy for the duration of our lives if we don't make changes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, for example, I was thinking about this when I was prepping for this interview and I thought, okay, I really like reciprocity in relationships. And by reciprocity, I'm, I'm talking about reciprocity of listening. So I'm really sensitive to that in my, like my close relationships mm-hmm. and I like a deep connection. So I'm not really interested in sort of having a superficial connection with someone. I want it to go deep or I don't really want it. What about you in terms of what matters to you with people? I'm curious. I'm an omnivert, which, mm-hmm. uh, but I think when it comes to interactions, I'm very much an introvert. Yeah, so I have a very, very small circle. But me the too. people that I interact with, I have very deep relationships with. But I think you know I'm very demanding on myself, and that translates yeah. also being demanding on those who I interact with. So yep. it's got to be somebody who can put up with that, because otherwise yeah. I can be quite tiresome. Yeah. So I kind of look for that. I think I'm like you. I'm looking for a deeper relationship. I don't yeah. do well with superficial relationships. If you saw me on the street, you could say, that person could talk to anybody. Yeah. And I could be friendly with strangers and, and mm-hmm. engage anybody in conversation. But I don't know that I would consider that a relationship or a friend. Like, I don't cultivate those type of minimal relationships. I'm not good at yeah, that. Yeah. And that's the same with me. And it's, it's not for everyone, right? No. But I identify with that as well. And so if I am, you know, often having to make a lot of small talk for example, Mm -hmm. I feel really tired. And that's going to be important later in our discussion. Mm -hmm. Other questions for you to ask yourselves, uh, listeners, is what really matters to you? And you'll notice what matters to you by what gets you fired up, right? Mm -hmm. What inspires you? And conversely, what infuriates you, right? What triggers rage? Mm -hmm. What makes you sad, happy, angry, scared? What do you actually enjoy doing? You know, if you're spending all of your time doing things because that's the way you've always lived your life, but when you reflect and notice, like, you're not getting anything out of that stuff, it's important to rethink what you're doing. When do you feel grateful or appreciative? You know, like, I know the times where I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm so happy to be alive. Mm -hmm. Right? So notice what helps you feel grateful or appreciative. And when do you feel like you're really living your life your way? 
right? Hmm. Doing what? And, you know, a few words that will help people is when do you feel like you're being most authentic? When does it feel like you're most creative, right? Because sometimes, and and it doesn't matter if you're not in a creative job. It's just whatever you're doing, there you, you might think more creatively, and that's a sign that you're kind of engaging with something that you value. I've come to recognize that it's these conversations that I have on this show that makes me feel yeah. that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Aw. No, yeah, right back at you. I feel the same way in terms of participating in the conversation because we're talking about things that I can't not think about. Right. Me yeah, too. I would do it anyway. But I get to do it professionally. How cool is that, right? Yeah, you know? it's like a gift. It's a gift. Yeah, and so for some people though, Jamie, and like even though we're going through this list and asking these questions, still, you know, I want listeners to know you still might go, Oh my goodness, I don't know. That's okay. Okay, mm-hmm. that's okay, especially the first couple of times you're thinking about this. So usually what I'll do is I'll pivot then, right, if I'm getting the I don't know, mm-hmm. and, and say, okay, well, how do we know when we're not, we might not be sure what our values are, but how do you know when you're living in contradiction to them? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's going to show up? And often from a psychological perspective, I'll see like anxiety, depression, or just this feeling of being conflicted all the time, being pulled in different directions, Mm -hmm. right? There can be low self-esteem, right, or poor self-value because if you're not living in congruence with your values, you probably don't trust yourself, even if you don't know that. And then it might be really difficult to make decisions, right? And so I was thinking of an example that was really simple for people to understand, and and this is what I came up with. You know, you might make decisions sort of comfortable in the short term, but aren't workable in the long term. And so my example is, say you value comfort, Mm -hmm. right? Now, comfort long term, and by that I mean being comfortable in your body as you age and live your life, is very different than comfort in the short term. Right. Mm-hmm. So say you value comfort and therefore you avoid exercise and sort of snuggle up to having desserts every night. Yep. But you also value your health and your ability to move you know, with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, whatever. If you take the big picture view, valuing your health means choosing behaviors that in the short term are actually less comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. That, it means sort of uh, exercising more yeah. and limiting food intake sometimes. But it will lead to actually greater comfort and health in the long term. So it's about really understanding the difference between short and long term choices. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's big picture versus small picture. Right. Like yeah, I'm, I'm gratified in the moment, but the moments are fleeting and I will not be gratified if I continue to behave this yeah, way. No, yeah. Makes total sense. Unfortunately, we don't have any more time today I, to, to follow through with this. We're done. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Anytime. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. 
Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Michelle Seeger is an award-winning researcher at the University of Michigan and author of The Joy Choice. She spent the past 30 years studying how to help people adopt healthy behaviors in ways that can survive the complexity and unpredictability of the real world. Her extensive research and expert insight has led to frequent interviews with national media, including the New York Times, NPR, and Fast Company. Welcome to the show, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to be here. So you're all about flexibility in trying to solve health and wellness problems, which is essentially what this show is all about. I personally find that a lot of people look at health and wellness like New Year's. You know, they make resolutions, but I'm really against that. How do you feel about it? Well, I align really with you. And the reason is, is because what happens when we make resolutions over New Year's is that we do it in a motivation bubble where, you know, it's isolated from our real life. And so while we do it, we usually spend money on a new piece of equipment or gym membership or diet. But then, you know, just within a couple of weeks, that bubble bumps up against some unexpected need in our lives and it bursts and all of our plans and goals go right down the drain. So it's not a sustainable way to initiate a change in a lifestyle behavior. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think the key is whatever it is you're going to do, you have to plan to do it for the rest of your life. So you either have to enjoy it or figure out a way to carve into your time to make sure that you're doing it. That's my approach. I understand that you divide the world into habitors and inhibitors. What do you mean by that? Well, that is a cheeky, fun way to ask people to think more critically about who they are, kind of their personality tendencies, as well as their daily life context and what's truly feasible. And I say, are you a habiter? Are you someone who has a lot of self-discipline, who's super organized, who gets through your to-do list on most days? Or are you someone who has a lot of unexpected things in their daily lives, who manages people like kids and employees and has a lot of unanticipated curveballs? And I call those of us who meet those criteria unhabiters. And the reason I use that word habit as the foundation for this concept is because we've been sold a bill of goods when it comes to putting our health behaviors on autopilot through things like automatic habits and habit formation. You know, we live a lot of our lives on automatic habit. We drive to work often on autopilot. We might cook on autopilot. And so there's great reason and great value in the way our brain works because it's efficient. But because it makes so much sense in so many areas of our lives, like flossing, something simple where there isn't a lot of unexpected interruption in the bathroom, Mm -hmm. habit formation makes a great deal of sense. But once we walk outside of the bathroom door into the complexities of our day with a complex multi-phase behavior like exercising or healthy eating, all bets are off when it comes to forming an automatic autopilot habit because it simply can't survive 
the variety and unanticipated things that happen in our day. What are the typical techniques that you've seen in creating healthy habits? And you use a phrase, the joy choice. How is that a different approach? So, gosh, I've been working with helping people create sustainable behavior changes in the self-care realm for almost 30 years. And so, you know, I have a formula And it is based on helping people develop high-quality, stable motivation. And the foundation for that, the strategy for that, is you have to make sure that your primary reason for adopting the change, or what I call people's why, is deeply compelling and meaningful. Not a should, not something someone else told you you should do, or something you think you need to do to fit in. It's got to be something deeply meaningful. So that is something that's crucial. And that creates the foundation for whether or not we feel an ongoing drive for the behavior. But we also have to feel that it's a priority. So on one level, we might want to exercise more. But if we don't understand that that exercise is beyond a vehicle for getting healthier, for example, but that it's a way that we're taking care of our mind and body and that we prioritize taking care of our mind and body, we won't sustain it long term. And the third element, which gets to the final part of your question, and the reason why it's so important is because regardless of whether we set ourselves up with the very best science-based strategies, two of which I've just suggested to you are very important, life is always going to happen. So if we don't have a belief system and a strategy for accommodating those unexpected curveballs and challenges that arise to our plans, which will always happen, then they're going to get the better of us. And so that's what the joy choice is. It's the perfect and perfect option at a moment of challenge that lets us do something instead of nothing. Okay. Could that concept of joy choice be perverted by somebody who's disinclined to sort of be an excuse not to be healthy, though? That is a beautiful question, and I love it. And I get asked some form of that question in every talk and interview I give. So the high-level answer is, of course, but the true answer is that the alternative to what I'm suggesting, the alternative to the joy choice is you got to get it right. There's a way to do it, and if you can't do it that way, it's not worth doing, and that falls into the all-or-nothing thinking bandwagon. And that is the way that we've been teaching people for about 40 decades to approach getting healthier, and it absolutely hasn't worked for the vast majority of people. So your concern is logical, but the alternative to it has not functioned. That's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer, I mean, that's kind of the common sense part of the answer, But there's a science-based part of the answer, and that is that the emerging science on healthy eating and physical activity suggests that actually being flexible and switching things up, they don't call it the joy choice like I do. You know, they call it activity substitution with physical activity, and they call it jargony terms like flexible restraint when it comes to eating. 
research suggests that those are much more adaptive than trying to stick to the plan. Is it your view that, you know, once you do something, obviously something is better than doing nothing, right? Like, you know, even getting up to walk around the block is better than sitting on the couch, for example. But is it your view that in doing something, eventually you'll be motivated to do more? In other words, it's a stepping stone. It's a process towards the ultimate goal. So it's more like a stop gap. It's more like a bridge. Okay. So the something is better than nothing is our mantra and belief system when our plans face an unexpected conflict. So basically the joy choice is a strategy and an idea to help us navigate these things when our plans become unworkable. It actually assumes we do have some type of plan that we're trying to achieve. And that's how it's different. It's really about how do we effectively and successfully navigate this unanticipated challenge so that we are more likely to stay on the path of lasting change. And what we know, so I can tell you that clients over the years have told me this notion in my former work, I referred to it as an opportunity to move with physical activity. And what they would say is, you know, when I couldn't do what I planned to do, this allowed me to feel like I was doing something. And it was a bridge for me. It helped reinforce that it was important for me that I am a physically active person. And so it acts as an ongoing support and reinforcement for the choice to keep doing your plan. But the thing I just want to add is the idea that the perfect and perfect option or the joy choice is a very potent strategy for healthy eating and exercise and other self-care behaviors simply parallels the way we live every other area of our life, right? I mean, we don't come to our parenting or our work thinking we have to do everything perfectly all the time. Yet, for some reason, you know, in society, the notion, the all or nothing notion has just become the dominant belief system. And it's time to blow that apart. I get that. So a tangible example would be since the end of COVID, the expectations are that, you know, you go to work more often. And if you're doing that, you're spending more time traveling, which means perhaps you have less time to exercise. That's sort of what's been happening to me. I'm getting busier. So whereas I would work out five times a week, I find myself slipping and it's only three or four times a week. And so I I might be inclined to say, well, forget it then. If I'm not doing the five, you know, it's no good. Or I could take a different approach and say, okay, this week I was only capable of doing three or four and I have to figure out a new way, a new habit to get back up to five because that is my personal goal. Is that what you're talking about? Well, first I wouldn't call it a habit. I would call it a choice. Okay. Right? A habit makes it too much outside of you. No, it's your choice. It's not a habit. It's something you're choosing to do. And the other thing I would say is, I teach seasonal variation. You know, I live in Michigan. It gets really cold here. Now, that doesn't change how I walk because I love being outside year-round. But some people really don't like walking. Right. Why not? If your goal is typically or your plan to walk outside five days a week during the spring, summer, and fall, what is the problem with saying, you know what, during these three intense winter months, I'm only going to walk outside twice a week? We don't bring to exercise and other lifestyle behaviors the same common sense variety that we do in other areas. So I would say to you, why does it have to be five days? Sure, that's great if you can do it, but put a tremendous amount of pressure on you. And when we put pressure on ourselves, that has a motivational boomerang effect. 
And when it feels like a should and something that is just too much, we actually develop a disdain and a reaction against doing it. So I would say to you, instead of feeling like it's got to be five days, I would say, why don't you live the next you know, month out and experiment with seeing what does three days look like in the way you ideally want to do it? And if you want to then try adding two other days that look very different, but that are very travel friendly to you and see what's going to work for you. Interesting advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Colleen Hartwick, N.D., Hannah Khan, Tracy Sograti, and Michelle Seeger. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bosson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.